Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we get our nerd on. We are talking doctors, scientists, technologists going into politics. It's the latest craze, but it's having some mixed success, some wins, some losses. We talk with Shaughnessy Naughton. She's the founder of 314 Action. That's a group that's kind of focused on bringing these folks into politics. We talked to her about how she's doing it and the success and, and some, of the, some of the setbacks she's having so far. Today, we get our nerd on, on It's All Political. Jonasy, welcome to It's All Political. Great to be with you, Joe. All right. So uh, let's just talk about this. For perspective in our very own House of Representatives, and the, these numbers may have changed since I last looked at them, but I think these are pretty accurate. I like that for journalistic integrity. Uh, there are 14, about 14 physicians in the House, seven to- radio talk show hosts, eight ordained ministers, two almond farmers, and one PhD mathematician, but there are 218 lawyers and, uh, you know, we, you know, with all deference to a couple of my buddies who are lawyers, you know, that's too, way too many lawyers to be in, the, in Congress. Yeah, you know, I think we really benefit by having diversity of experience, especially when you look at the training that goes into, um, you know, what are, what are lawyers essentially trained to do, yeah. make laws and argue. And what are scientists trained to do? Solve problems. And I think having more of them at you know, in elected office would benefit us all. So you came up with this idea about a little over a year ago, I guess, uh, called 314 Action. Tell us, uh, this this is uh, your focus on recruiting scientists and doctors and technologists to run for office. Tell us how you came up with that and why you did. Sure. Uh, My background is I'm a chemist by training, and I ran for Congress myself and discovered that it's really difficult to break into politics when you don't come from a traditional political background. Mm-hmm. You know, lawyers and, and businessmen are, are pretty accustomed to seeing their, their colleagues and associates cycle in and out of, of their careers and, and spend time in public service, and they uh, recognize the value in supporting those campaigns, whereas we don't have that same culture in the scientific community. Mm-hmm. And yet I think we would really benefit by having more scientists and technologists in elected office, um, you know, through both the priorities that they would bring as well as through the process. Uh, like I mentioned before, scientists uh, are, are problem solvers and are generally less ideological. And I think that when you look at the mess in Washington and a mm-hmm. lot of our state governments, uh, having more people with that agenda would be beneficial. And so, then tell us what the uh, the why you called it. Uh, the tell us the super nerdy reason why you call it three fourteen action three one four. Well, three three one four are the first three digits of pi, which is a constant used throughout the sciences. Uh, it also happens to be an irrational number, which I think played well to uh, you know what we're trying to do. I mean, science uh, or p- science is very rational, but politics not so much. And that's, yeah, and that's uh, part, part of the disconnect you found some of the, the candidates were, were feeling. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But so when we first talked about nine months ago, 6,000 people had contacted you uh, about helping them out or for more information. And, you know, these are, these are STEM types, uh, doctors and, and, uh, and scientists and technologists. How, how many have contacted you now since uh, President Trump was inaugurated? 
we've heard from over 7,500. And in fact, we just had another candidate training in uh, San Francisco mm -hmm. last week where we had about 50, um, many engineers, but uh, chemists, physicists, uh, environmental scientists from uh, mostly California, but um, some from uh, around the country, join us to, to learn what's involved in running for office and putting together a successful campaign. So you, and so of, of those 6,000 people and, and others who you've, who you've found and connected with over the time, um, th in this cycle, in, this, uh, for, in House races, you endorsed 22 House candidates, correct? Yes. Yes. Of those, and some races are still to happen, some primaries are still to happen, but you won eight of those races, and your, your candidates won eight of those races, and you, they lost nine. What, what did you learn from that, and from, from the candidates who ran and, and their experiences? Well, um, you know, it, it is hard to, to break into politics, um, but I, I do, you know, one thing I have noticed uh, from you know, as a constant from these candidates is their ability to articulate why they're running and what they want to accomplish. And as basic as that sounds, um, that can be difficult for uh, even seasoned politicians to, um, to be able to do. And so, you know, this was our, this was our first real federal cycle, um, and we do expect to see more scientists run in the future, which I think will um, you know, help to encourage people uh, to, to run and support them. And the, from the mo most of the folks said that uh, the most the toughest part for them was raising money. Uh, you know, those 218 lawyers, uh, you know, who are in the House, it, it comes more easily to them. It's much more natural for lawyers to know someone who's running for office, and so they're familiar with the process. But these are, you know, folks who are largely try to stay apolitical. What, what, what was some of their experiences they told you about? Was it, how tough was it to raise money? Uh, it's, it's incredibly tough. I mean, when I, I ran myself, I, uh, I ran twice. I raised over $2 million, and my mm. average contribution was around $125, mm -hmm. which even if you're not a mathematician, you can figure out that's a lot of phone calls. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I sympathize with them, and, um, you know, and we can all bemoan the, um, you know, the outsized, in, outsized influence that money has on politics, but we're not going to change that from outside of the system. And so, you know, uh, <laughs> what I try to do um, in the trainings as well as my one-on-one -on -one conversations with these candidates is to convey the reality of how, how mind-numbing that can be, uh, making hours of phone calls a day. Um, but, you know, there is, there, you know there, there is a reality that you can have the best candidate in the world, but if they don't have the resources to communicate that message, no one's going to know who they are, and um, they're probably not going to get a lot of votes. And um, so we hope to continue to engage uh, the greater scientific community, scientists as well as friends of science, um, in in supporting uh, these these worthy candidates uh, in the 2018 cycle and and going forward. You had four uh, candidates here in California running for um, running for house seats, and I, I've spent time with uh, uh, with all of them. Uh, th and the three who lost were all like they're all really good candidates. I mean, I deal with you know. A lot of candidates, and and then these are very smart people. You had uh, 
uh, Hans Kirsted, who's like a world-renowned stem cell scientist, uh, and he was, uh, you know, had a lot of money. He barely lost uh, to uh, run the against in uh, up against uh, Dana Rohrbacher in the 49th district, I believe that is in Orange County. Um, you had uh, Mike Contron, who has possibly one of the uh, the, the most incredible. Um, uh, personal story. She was a Vietnam uh, uh, refugee as a child, came over here when she was, uh, I think, under 10, 7 or 8 years old. She is a, um, <clears throat> a pediatrician. She, you know, won a scholarship to Harvard. Uh, she was a pediatrician. She's a two-time breast cancer survivor and a, and a single mom, and she raised good money. And then you have Brian Ford, um, who is a uh, a young guy was uh, uh, really uh, sharp. He was uh, talking about a lot of interesting issues, and he was on the an advi- and a, a tech advisor to Obama. What happened to these guys? Why why did they lose? And they're all and they're all running in Orange County, which is arguably one of the hottest uh, political environments there is right now. Why did these guys lose? You know, I, I mean, one of the the blessings and the curse of the Trump administration is it has awakened a lot of people to politics, and so there are a lot of really quality candidates running, even if they're not scientists. Um, but I, you know, I would say the money was an issue. Uh, all all three were outspent, um, and uh, but I, I I do feel encouraged by seeing quality candidates like Mike Hontran and Hans Kirstead and Brian Ford running for office, putting together credible campaigns as first-time candidates, and I don't think we've seen the last of any of them. What does uh, you, you spoke, when you're out here in California, you spoke with Hans. What did uh, he say about this? What are his feelings going forward? Well, you know, and that's what is so encouraging. And, and uh, um, you know, when I met with Hans, he was talking about how he still wanted to pursue fixes to the Affordable Care Act to improve Americans' lives um, and reduce health care costs. And so he's going to be, I don't want to get too far ahead for him, but right. he's going to be continue to, continuing to pursue um, putting out policy uh, solutions that you know politicians will hopefully take advantage of and move forward with uh, in in Congress and you know perhaps even at the state level. And um, how about and and and, and Dr. Chong? Uh, what about her? Why did uh, she she was kind of swamped by uh, better funded opponents, but she was out there early and, and raised decent money. She did. She did. Um, you know, politics is often about things outside of your control, and, and timing is one of those. And, um, you know, one thing that we can take from history is that just because someone has lost their first race doesn't mean they're out of the game for good. And I think she has, um, you know, a valuable perspective to bring uh, as a refugee, as a physician, uh, as a breast cancer survivor, and as someone very dedicated uh, to the armed forces in this country. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. listening to her talk about what it means to see a Marine in uniform, it means freedom to her. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, having people like that in elected office is a good thing. And I think um, we haven't seen the uh, the end of her pursuits, or, or I hope, I certainly hope not. You have one candidate left in California, T.J. Cox, who is running for Congress against uh, the incumbent Republican uh, David Valadeo in here in the Central Valley in California. Um, uh, TJ is, a, is an engineer, correct? Yes. And he uh, and he talks about water issues uh, in his in his candidacy. And now the the what's the challenge there? Um, 
how does how does you know a science background play in a district where maybe I think it's nine percent of the uh, the folks there have a college degree? Does that is it of less value there, or or is it more valued, or how does that play? Well, I, you know, there's a lot of farmers in the district that mm-hmm. TJ is running in. And I, I also grew up in maybe not as, as big of a farming community, but with a lot of farmers mm-hmm. where I live. Mm-hmm. And one thing that farmers know is uh, they, um, you know, they know the value of, of experts because that's what they are. Mm-hmm. And um, having somebody who cares about their issues, who can understand uh, the importance of uh, managing water, um, especially among farming communities, I think that that's you know that's going to resonate with folks, and um, you know, and having somebody that um, uh, is is running for the right reasons to make a difference in, in his community, and I think that that's uh, that's good. Is there a, a, a challenge for a lot of these candidates in not being too smart for the room? I remember when I when I first sat down with Brian Ford. Again, very bright guy, Obama, Obama Technology Office. <clears throat> but he was talking about ideas like the future of work, which is something that, sh- that really should be discussed. Um, and the way he discussed it, I was like, wow, this is really uh, nuanced and uh, forward-thinking way of, of talking about this issue, which made me think, oh, my God, this guy doesn't have a chance. Uh, <laughs> Because because this is politics and we're not looking. Always your friend. I I know I I'm call me a cynic, but 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 is it so? What's is that a challenge? Do you do you, I mean, how do you do you ever tell guys uh, and uh, who are running running you know scientists and 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 such? Why don't you dumb it down for people so they understand it? Or how do you how do you handle that being uh, too smart for the room? Well, you know, I think it's important uh, to communicate with. Uh, with folks in a way that they're going to understand what you're actually saying. And that can be a challenge for scientists who use a lot of jargon and, and speak differently amongst each other than they, than they, can, uh, than they need to when communicating with the general public. Um, so that is definitely something that we focus on in the training is um, y- y- you need to have your, you know, your two-word answer, your 30-second answer, and then your more in-depth answer. And, um, and making sure that you are conveying that in the clearest possible way to the people you're speaking with. Hmm. What would be an example of, give me, give me an example of like a, a two-word answer, a 30-second answer. You know, like you have to give me the whole 30 seconds, but what would be an example of each? Well, um, I remember once on the campaign uh, finishing an hour-and-a-half debate and, you know, walking uh, out of the crowd and, and back towards my car, and someone shouting at me, "What are your thoughts on GMOs?" And uh, you know that that is not something that you can you can answer because it, it depends on what you're asking about. Um, it, you can't answer it uh, off the cuff. You need to know what the actual question is. Um, so, you know, um, do I think GMOs are dangerous? No. Um, do I think there are business practices uh, committed by some of the, the bigger seed companies that are unsavory? Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, politics is complicated. Pol- policy is even more complicated. Um, but I think having these analytical thinkers uh, in elected office would would lead to better policy. Mm-hmm. Now, 
there is a, uh, a somewhat of a downside sometimes in, in in having folks who are who are you know very much wedded and trained to empirical evidence. Um, I tell me, <laughs> when we were talking the other day, you 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 told me about the candidate who who said to you that he didn't mind people saying mean things about him, you know, on the campaign trail. But what did he mind? Um, he minded when people said mean things that weren't true. <laughs> and that can be very frustrating. Uh, what does that tell you? Oh, uh, that they're human. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's also, you know, there's a reality in, in science that um, y- you can't make things up. You right. don't only just lose the project, you lose your credibility and possibly your career. Yeah. Um, which is you know, kind of refreshing. I mean, can you it imagine is? if we had more politicians that weren't allowed to lie? Oh, my uh, God. I think I know one job opening we have right now. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's but that's a major type of, you know, cultural difference that these uh, candidates are facing is, is you know, that you're, you're entering a, a place where... Um, Spin is just part of the game, and 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 debunking that spin, you know, from from uh, my perspective, uh, and so it's it's a challenge where you're coming from a world where no, there's there's no spin, there's the data, um, you know, for the mo- we we hope that there's no spin, but it's that's is that one of the biggest disconnects you think between the two worlds? Uh, it's it's definitely a challenge. I mean, what I point out to uh, to our candidates is that. Um, you know, scientists can be often quite literal, mm-hmm. and politicians are, are not literal. <laughs> <laughs> what did, uh, so tell us about you. Uh, you alluded to earlier, and uh, we, we talked when you are out here for, your, uh, for the training in, in San Francisco. Fifty folks, mostly guys, uh, given that the technology sector out here is, is very heavily male-dominated. Um, what, did, uh, what were these guys interested in running for? And what did what was there was there a common question they had about running for office? Um, well, they we heard from from folks that were interested in running from all, for all levels, mm-hmm. from city council to the state legislature uh, to to Congress. Um, and you know these are these are scientists. They want to collect the data and then see where that takes them. So I'll actually be following up in the next couple of weeks with the candidates that had a, you know, a more um, uh, immediate um, position that they were looking at um, to see, you know, exactly where, you know, where we can best help them. Uh, but for the most part, they're, they're getting an early start. They're getting, putting together the information they need. Um, and, um, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, I mean, one, one thing I am, I am always impressed by the, the questions that they, they come up with because they, um, you know, they really think through what the projects that they're taking on. And what, what, quest, uh, what question do they have? What was, was there a couple that jumped out to you that, uh, that might, be, might seem unusual for someone who's, you know, a typical politician? 
Sure. I mean, uh, probably not surprising um, was there was a big focus on how to better leverage technology Mm -hmm. for both, um, you know, social media campaigns, but also for the data management that's involved in campaigns. I mean, you know, whether it's um, persuading voters or or working with donors, Um, you know, there's a lot of data that's collected. And how do you how do you best access access it? Uh, so that was definitely a big part of the discussion. I don't know if we came to a definitive conclusion, but uh, that was a that was a big focus. Okay. And uh, so you were, uh, as, as you alluded to earlier, you are a trained chemist. You're a former congressional candidate. Uh, what do you wish you knew then? What did you? What do you wish you knew then that you know now, having not only run a couple times, but having done these trainings uh, for for people. Uh, like yourself, what, what would you what would you have done differently? Well, I, I might actually change around that question a little bit because mm-hmm. if I had known then what I know now, I might not have ever done it. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> um, you know, it is it is uh, really a grueling process, but. What allowed me to go into the office every day and, and make those phone calls and do the hard work that is involved in putting together a campaign was was knowing what I wanted to accomplish, mm-hmm. and that um, you know, and, and I think scientists are um, well well versed in this, where you know they can balance short term sacrifice for long term gain and growth. And when we're talking about the future of our of our country or our community, um, making a little sacrifice is not is not too much to ask. By the way, I can I can uh, tell you have been a candidate because you rephrase my question. So that's that's very that's the mark of a true politician. Um, well, um, you know, going up against the the Democratic the National Democratic Committee's uh, candidate was, um, you know, I, I honestly did not appreciate what that meant that Nancy Pelosi was going to be holding fundraisers for my opponent, and I was going to be calling high school friends and asking them for fifty dollars. Um, so, you know, I, I learned. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, uh, you know, it is. You know, it, it, it's a that was a tremendous lift. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, the uh, one one more thing, just to be clear, your uh, organization is open to Republicans or Democrats, but it's mostly been uh, Democrats who have come forward and you've endorsed Democrats. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. Why why is that? Is this this mostly is this a reaction to the to President Trump's take on climate change and and sort of uh, sort of distrust of science in general, or or what what is this and why why is that? Do you think it's been mostly Democrats so far? Well, I don't think the attacks on science started with the Trump administration, mm-hmm. but it certainly has been a catalyst for getting scientists to go beyond just advocacy and actually get involved mm-hmm. in electoral politics. And frankly, you know, they they've taken this war on science and turned it into an all-out war on facts. And that does have people outraged, especially, you know, people from the, you know, technical and scientific community. And, you know, whether it's healthcare policy or climate change or nuclear weapons, I mean, uh, you know, they're, 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 it's hard to point to anything that this administration does that isn't, um, you know, against the empirical evidence. Well, Chauncey, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to be on uh, It's All Political. Well, thanks a lot. It was great to join you. 
Hey, I'd like to thank uh, Shaughnessy Naughton for coming on the podcast today. Uh, I'd like to thank Fernando Diaz, our managing editor for digital, for producing today's episode. And I'd like to thank you for listening, because whether you're splitting atoms or just another hack bending the truth, it's all political. <laughs>